Welcome to another episode on Straight Like That, the podcast hosted by me, Camille, Instagram's favorite half brown boy. I got to shout out the sponsor real quick, Rory Love and Company, little candle wax and room spray company based in New Orleans. Um, great little candle. It's got a very long burning uh, timeline, about like 55 hours or something like that. Organically made, handmade by Miss Nadia over here. Um, yeah, go check out uh, the link in my bio. Go ahead and get, you know, your friend, your family members, a loved one, a little, little token of appreciation, if you will. All right, but let me go ahead and introduce my man, Eric Rossage, North Carolina's finest, currently in Seattle, knows a lot about the game, man. Eric, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Camille. No problem. Yeah, can, can I do guests get a candle as well? Yeah, hey, I'll ship one out, bro. Just send me the address. I got you. <laughs> Love a candle. Love but it. Yeah, know. let's let's get straight to it then, bro. So why why soccer? How'd you get into it? You know, I'll talk about the youth, all that. Mm, why soccer? Yeah. I think it's funny, like um my dad'll tell me because I don't I mean I don't remember what I started playing when I was, you know, three or four, but I, I don't remember. Um, you know, I kind of remember the first team I was on, like the jerseys and stuff, but I don't really remember like the actual experience. But mm-hmm. my dad told me that I wouldn't join unless he coached the team. Okay. And like, like, I just like refused. I think my brother wanted to play, but like, I, you know, I didn't really want to play and I, he coached it. And then, so it's just funny now that like, I wouldn't play unless my dad coached and he ended up coaching that first team. And now it's been my entire life. Yeah. Look at that little decision right there. Right. Life changing. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's just always clicked with me. Like I've always loved the belonging, like the community within the soccer uh, world and you know, the fact that it's a team sport. I love being around people. I love being able to like rely on each other, like have each other's backs. Um, I think the creativity of the sport, like I love the creativity, like what the way you get to manipulate the ball and, and be deceptive and, and all of that. Like, I think that's fascinating. I think the euphoria around a celebration of a goal, right. And, uh, you know, around fans and stadiums and how people can come together for a big moment. Right. I think that that is, it's just really special you know, and how like you can connect with someone that maybe doesn't speak the same language, right. Or lives in a different community or, you know, whatever it might be like, you know, I was lucky enough to go to, go to Europe a few times when I was younger with my family. And like, you know, there were always people playing the streets, you know, like little, little fields everywhere. And like, we could like just step into, you know, and people would invite us to come in and like, you know, just play for like a little small sided game, pickup game and whatnot. It was just part of the culture. And it was like, I thought that that was so cool. Like we don't even speak the same language, right? And yet, like we're connecting here. Exactly. You know, oh, it's like, a beautiful game. Yeah, it's um, so yeah, it's always been a it's always been a special special thing in that way, and it's just kind of always offered me, um, you know, community and close relationships and a place where I feel safe, a place where I can always go to rely on people, and I think everyone needs that. You know, belonging is is such a, um, you know, uh, a human need. Right. And I think like soccer's fortunately offered offered me that. And so that's why I kind of I've stuck with it because I want to offer other people that, too. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get into that a little later on how you're giving back to the community right now <laughs> over in Seattle. But um, go ahead and, and, and speak on about your your time playing in uh, in club soccer, middle school, high school. Um, you can go ahead and talk about like recruiting. Did you have like, you know, dreams of playing in college or professional? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most people who who play at least at a high level, like when they're younger, like pro is the goal, right? And they're like, I think I thought I'd be in Europe right now. 
<laughs> but uh, you know and i think like the more the more you get older though like you realize like it's not necessarily about like whether that dream comes true but it's about like what chasing that dream like brings you you right. know like what that journey brings you like all the ups and downs that come with it all the people that come with it all the experiences that come with that whether that actually happens or not you know mm -hmm. i mean it's so cool if it does actually happen for those people that it does like amazing right what they've done to achieve that amazing right the things that you know i think i think it's you create your own luck in that way right and um it, it's, it's really cool but i think it's yeah it's about that journey so yeah i've played soccer ever since i was you know three or four got into competitive club soccer i think around u9 and never looked back i mean i just i just loved it always always thought about soccer you know couldn't couldn't wait to get out of school to like run to training, you yeah. know, to get home, play it, you know, juggle more in, in, yeah. in my backyard and, and play 1v1 against my brother and play FIFA. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was so excited whenever, you know, NBC Sports landed the big deal with Premier League. And like, you know, we were then able to, you know, watch Premier League and, and the World Cup was more broadcasted everywhere. And like being able to like actually watch the game whenever I wanted, like, that was amazing, you know, and like, so my childhood was definitely, you know, dominated by the sport of soccer. Right. right so um yeah and uh um you know i did want to play in college um uh i did go kind of through the college recruiting process it was very different then than it is now um now players have film and they can create highlight reels really easily they can connect with coaches really easily via a bunch of different platforms it's not just email now right and um mm -hmm. you know there's just a lot more kind of connection and that that wasn't necessarily kind of the same same process when I was when I was growing up and when I wanted to to go to college, but um, you know I did um I did get some looks um you know at the Division three level and at the smaller Division one level and um you know my family a lot of my family went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill so that was always my dream school I wanted to play there right but mm -hmm. I never got recruited there um and I think you know whether that was you know, athletically, or I wasn't on the right team, or, um, you know, maybe, maybe I just wasn't at that level at the time. Um, you know, I didn't get recruited there. So I still, still applied, still thought it might be a place that I would want to go. And my brother was there at the time and he was playing club soccer, which is, you know, for people that don't know what that is, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the JV team at, at the school. You know, if they, um, if they don't have a varsity sport within that sport, it's actually kind of the varsity sport, right? Cause it's the only real sport that's right. offered, that's still, you know, you're representing the school. You're still playing other universities. It's still organized competitive sport, but it's just not as much of a commitment, right? And you don't have necessarily the resources. So, you know, it comes with its own challenges, but it's still, um, especially at a, uh, you know, university like North Carolina, it's a big school. So our club team was, you know, comprised of everyone that either wanted to play, you know, or could play in, in, at, at a college, right, at the Division One level, or maybe they came in and transferred from another school that they didn't, um, you know, didn't care for, or they didn't fit in, right. or whatever it might be. And so it was still like a really, really good experience in that way. Um, and I think the college recruiting, the whole college recruiting process is interesting. Now, now me being a coach, like, I really like to emphasize to all my kids that it's not you know, you can get, you know, this division one level can get sensationalized. Right. And, um, you know, it's about finding the right spot that's for you, you know, you know, whatever you're looking for in a school, what that culture looks like, what the the coach looks like, you know, what the uh, enrollment looks like, what, um, you know, city it's in, what, what is the size of the school? What majors does it offer? You know, what's a lot of, of factors. 
so many factors right mm-hmm. and and unfortunately like when you know it's been kind of just in the culture that like oh you got to seek division one you know if you want to play at the pro level you got to seek division one if you want to go far you want to be better like seek division one and like you know the reality is a very small percentage of, of players anywhere where they go to college right they're going to play pro and so it's about right. it's about finding the right spots for them and i had i think it was like 10 or 11 players on my club team from high school go and play, you know, at the division one level. And I think it was one of them graduated and played all four years at the same university. And yeah. that wasn't, that was, that was the story on my team. And it was a story for a lot of other teams as well. And my, my brother's team as well. And it was like, you know, it's about finding the right school that's right for you. And it's about finding the program that's right for you. And for me, um, you know, my brother was playing at UNC, the, the club team at the time and was, you know, uh, training with the, um, UNC women's team as well. And, uh, I was able to go to games and I thought it was competitive and I liked the level. And then, um, you know, the fact that he was able to, to be part of like one of the most historic programs in NCAA history in the, U- in the UNC women's soccer program, I thought yeah. that that was just like the coolest thing ever. Right. Cause I grew up a, a massive UNC fan, a massive UNC soccer fan. And right. I thought that was just like. I was like, what, what a cool opportunity that I, I could possibly have, you know? So ended up going to UNC and then, and then of course cost too. And like, that's another yeah. thing, right? Like that's yeah. a whole other conversation of cost of yeah, education, yeah, yeah. but um, you know, in-state UNC, great school. And I was like, wow, I'm privileged to be able to go there. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to do it, you know, right. so ended up going there and um, you know, tried out for the club team. Cause you still got to try out too. There's, you know, there's hundreds of kids that come out um, at the beginning of the year for, you know, 20 to 30 spots. Um, and at, at every year, actually, there's less than that, right? Because there's only 20 right. 30 spots on the team. So it's about, right. yeah, maybe like maybe five to 10 at best. Um, That's crazy. So, so it's really tough. Um, but, you know, through that experience, I was, I was fortunate to, to make the team. And then through that experience, I, you know, I have some of my best friends in the world from there. Um, and then being able to work with the, the UNC women's program as well, um, you know, being just part of that and experiencing the, the, like, the, the setup and the, the competitiveness and the um, the professionalism that is within that program. Um, again, met some of my best friends through that. And um, yeah, I think like I wouldn't take any of it back, you know, um, not that I wouldn't have fit anywhere else at another program or whatnot, but man, like, you know, it's all led me to where I am now and I'm very, very happy and, and, and I feel fortunate to be where I'm at right now. So. Yeah, for sure. So go yeah. ahead and talk about exactly like, what would you be doing? Um, when you're practicing with the the women's team over there. And uh, I guess also kind of give more of an insight about like the travel for your club team. Um, I know you guys were playing in different tournaments. Y'all were playing against different schools. So I guess, you know, give more information about that for people who don't really understand what club uh, club soccer is at, you know, big time universities. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think um, thanks for asking that. Cause I think it's something that I like to talk to my kids about too, because um. I think it's it's the club programs are inconsistent across the country. You know, right. you, you kind of have to do a little bit of research. Um, you know, at the bigger schools, there's going to be more funding. There's going to be a bigger pool of players. So it's likely going to be more competitive. It's going to be more serious. Um, you're going to get to travel more, all of that. At the smaller schools, it might not be that. So, you know, it, it is inconsistent in that way. But I think, you know, if you do find the right program, it is really cool. Um, it is a, a great experience to to be able to continue competitive soccer and have it as a big part of your life and a big part of your college experience. But it also doesn't dominate at all. 
you know, and you're able to, right. you know, you're able to still, you know, maybe play at a different club sport or, or get involved in other organizations, or if you have to work, right. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily like dominate every aspect of your life. Yeah. Um, but with it comes its own challenges, you know, like you're not fully, most, most clubs aren't fully funded by the university. So you got to do fundraising, you know, mm. most club programs don't have coaches. So you're almost like, um, you know, you're running it within, um, or you have a player coach and it's tough to be a player coach and be a captain and, right. um, to run all of that. And then, you know, you, you got to organize travel logistics and all of that. So you're almost like a, a team admin and a team parent and it's, uh, yeah, with it comes its its own, its own challenges, but, um, I was fortunate to, to be president and, and co-captain in my, my senior year. And again, it was probably one of my like favorite experience ever. And it probably, you know, it, it made me grow and it challenged me in, in really great ways. And, um, really proud of kind of where we pushed the program. Um, when I got there, it was, um, it was pretty high level. It was, it was pretty serious. And then kind of took a couple of years where, um, you know, we, I guess, you know, the leadership kind of fell off a little bit, a commitment fell off a little bit. And we were kind of like there, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be, you know, qualifying for nationals every year with the, the amount of talent that we have within this group. Yeah. And um, so the way it would work is we don't really have an ACC conference because um, ACC is, um, you know, all the way down the coast and we just don't have, we just don't have the funding to, to travel all up and down. Oh, right? yeah. but, um, so our conference would be primarily comprised of like North Carolina, South Carolina teams. Okay. Um, and the governing body is NURSA, N-I-R-S-A. Um, that's the national governing body. So it's not NCAA, it's NURSA. And um, so we'd have our, our North Carolina, South Carolina kind of conference. And then through your conference play um, and through some tournaments that you play throughout the year, you're then, um, you know, ranked and then you qualify for regionals based on um, your ranking. So, you know, we'd qualify for regionals every year. Um, but then when you get to regionals is where like the, the competition starts to come in. Right. Because now you're playing right. the bigger schools. Now you're playing mm -hmm. the FSUs, the Alabamas, the um you know, uh, the Georgias, the Virginias, the Virginia Techs, right? Now we've got all the ACC schools, the SEC schools, the big schools that are, you know, going to be competitive, that have that pool of players. So that that was always really fun. Like that's where the real competition kind of came in. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we were fortunate. Our, our senior year, we were able to qualify for nationals. Um, and I had a heck of a run while we were there. Um, so that was in Phoenix. So we had to fundraise to get there, um, right. you know, to make sure that we could, we could pay our way and not be in huge debt or whatnot. Right. And, right. Um, right. So we're able to do that. And that was, so, that was to this day, one of the best experiences ever. And, and there is where, you know, the real competition, right. We're playing like the best teams in the country, the big schools in the country. It was some, some are, you know, fully funded by their university, like BYU. Um, you know, they're basically a varsity program. They've got a coaching staff, all this stuff. So um, that was a really, really cool experience. And, um, you know, we were able to actually beat Penn State in the final and, um, yeah, ended up winning the national championship, which is just like, wow. Yeah. To this day, one of the, one of the, yeah, my finest memories for sure. Um, and it was just kind of cool the journey that we took to get there, um, to kind of revamp the, the club program, to revamp the commitment to, to get us back to the intensity level and the, the commitment level that we needed to, to ultimately like bring the team together and, and be a cohesive unit and and push on like that's what i remember right it's not necessarily yeah. the one moment on the field it's like that whole journey like me working yeah. with our co-captain working with all, the other leadership um you know our, our us seniors and like you know knowing what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go and then following through with it 
um yeah that was just it was just a really special special experience yeah and then accomplishing the mission too y'all won the whole thing yeah yeah it was it was cool yeah so while while you know practicing and stuff so you were also practicing with the women's team so was that because you guys were on the club team yeah so um for a long time now um anson dorrance the head coach of the unc women's soccer program long time head coach um He's kind of always done that. Uh, I don't know how far back, but he's kind of um, for a long time invited, um, you know, men into the environment to just help with the physical challenge and just provide a different, different level of physical challenge for um, the program. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's found that 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 has helped, you know, increase the competitiveness, increase the, um, you know, just provide a, a different type of competition for his yeah. for his players. And um you know, he started that a while back. And so usually that, yeah, stems from the club team because you've got, um, you know, competitive players that have been around the game for a long time that are, you know, professional that are going to, you know, act in a professional manner that are going to, you know, give it their all and, and be mindful of the space and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, there's players that usually come in every year to, to help out with the program and to, to provide that competition um, could usually come from the club team. Okay. And we all would be what mainly like doing 11 v 11 or would y'all go in on like, you know, small sided games or rondos or all like that? Kind of all of it. Yeah. I mean, we kind of would step in where we were needed, step in, um, you know, the spring spring was super fun. Like we'd do like uh, futsal tournaments and uh, they would like draft teams. And so every team would be like comprised of, um, you know, two male players and then you know, six or seven of the players on the team. And like, you know, it'd be this giant futsal tournament throughout the whole spring, like this league and all of that. And so yeah, that, yeah. it would be just super competitive. He calls it the competitive cauldron, the way they track, they track stats and they track um, everyone's wins and, and, and all of these. And that's how they, they track that data. And then they compare that data to basically rank everyone. Um, and that's kind of been uh, Anson's system for like a really long time to basically, um, you know, inspire that, that competition within the team. Yeah, for sure. So you graduate. Did you know you wanted to be involved in, in soccer in some form? When I graduated? Yeah, from UNC. Did you know you wanted to be involved in the game somehow? Like, what, were your, what was your thoughts about, you know, post-grad life? Yeah, so when I was there, I like, um, again, my brother was an exercise sports science major, focused on sport admin, and like, I thought that was cool, but I didn't really like, I don't really know what that means, you know, like, yeah. and I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do. I just love the sport yeah. of soccer. And I know that it means a lot to me. I know that it's growing in the U S and I want to be a part of it. I just don't know like how or, right. or what I would contribute. Right. I, I just don't know. Right. Cause if I'm not a pro player, then like, you know, how do I get involved? What do I do? Right. So um, at one point, I, I kind of just like blindly reached out to, um, you know, it was like the president of the sports business club. And I was just like, hey, can we get lunch? Like, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> this is while and, at UNC, uh, right? This is while I was at UNC, okay. right? Okay. And um, yeah, his name was Miles and um, was able to, um, you know, meet up with him. And he was so kind to, to give me his time and, and just kind of walk through like what he was looking at, the experiences he had, like the different opportunities within the sports, you know, um, landscape. And um, that was really cool. And he, he kind of like, you know, turned me to a professor that had an internship um, available for me. And then like that kind of all, you know, spiraled basically into um, I was able to get an internship with soccer.com over the okay. summer of uh, 2014. So during the World Cup, which was really cool because um, we had a lot of initiatives around that. And got to work with all the brands, um, you know, Puma, Nike, Adidas. Um, it was 
yeah, it was really, it was really cool. It's eye-opening to, to, you know, what, what that sports business realm can offer. Um, so I, I did, um, you know, marketing and social media for them and, um, kind of continued that through the rest of my college career, kind of on like a part-time basis. So I would do, you know, content, um, and, and product reviews. So I would test cleats, test materials, right. Test, uh, test the gear and equipment and then write reviews about it, do videos about it. Um, so that was a cool experience. I think I knew that like, you know, being on camera and stuff like that, it wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but, Mm -hmm. um, I did like, you know, sharing the story of sport, right. And then, you know, just, you know, helping to explode the, you know, soccer around the U S like I loved helping to grow that. Cause when I was growing up, the Eurosport magazine was like my favorite thing in the world, right? You of couldn't course, get soccer I remember that. anywhere. You yep. couldn't get it anywhere, right? The only place to get it was Eurosport, this catalog yep. that would come once a month. So every day we're getting home mm. and my brother and I are just like, is it here yet? You know, we checked the mailbox, we'd look at yeah. the mail and if it wasn't there, we'd be like, ah, none of this is for us, right? But then the right. day it was there, we'd be like, oh, this is so cool. There's pictures in here of Leo Messi, like, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen, right? Like we couldn't we couldn't find pictures anywhere, right? We couldn't right. We didn't get that level of content. So it was like the pictures, the stories, like the the actual the cleats, the new gear, like all of that was in there. And we just would like we would just revel in all of it, you know. We just thought that that mm-hmm. was the coolest stuff ever. For sure. So then being able to like work for soccer.com, which was formerly Eurosport, right? Right. Um, right. Like that was just like a, almost like a dream come true. Like it was like, whoa, that's that's crazy, right? Be yeah, part it's come full circle. Yeah, it's crazy full circle, you know? Um, so that was really cool. It's a cool experience. And then through that, um, kind of worked with a few different organizations and, and, and soccer organizations and then was able to um, kind of, you know, um, get my foot in the door and, and, and show, what, show what I could do and was able to get a, um, you know, job down in um, Atlanta with Atlanta United, uh, which at the time was an MLS expansion franchise. So I was there, um, the first season was in 2017, but I went down there in 2016. So before they could set up anything, right. Um, I got there and it was really cool to be just part of like a club, literally starting from nothing. Um, and then to get like, you know, 55,000 people, a full stadium out to our first game. Like, I mean, that, that night still gives me chills. Just like thinking about that. We've got like, you know, little video recaps and stuff from it. I'm just like, Whoa, like, Mm -hmm. That is crazy how far this sport has come in this country, you know, um, and to be like walking around and you've got Atlanta United jerseys and, and T-shirts and people mm-hmm. around. They're like, oh, did you go to the United game this weekend? Like it was just like it was just something else. And I was I was fortunate to be able to surrounded by like a lot of brilliant, brilliant people um, and mentors and, um, you know, learn just so much from that experience. Um you know, and just being around the the professional game and, and that professional level, like it was, yeah, it was really special. It was really cool. So what in particular were you doing for, for the club? Yeah. So, um, I worked in, in kind of marketing and, and digital content. So, you know, I was in, in charge of doing, you know, working with a lot of the storytelling, the, the social media, the photography, um, you know, and, and just really marketing that club and within the Atlanta area and just kind of announcing, you know, this is who we are. This is, you know, this is what, you know, what we do. This is why we're here. And, mm-hmm. um, I thought that that was, yeah, it was a really cool experience. Learned a ton. Um, and you know, we are you know, fortunate to be able to be part of a, a really successful, uh, you know, launch MLS franchise in it. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of resources behind us, Arthur Blank, um, you know, owns the Falcons as well in, in Atlanta. And, mm-hmm. um, so we were able to, to really, you know, 
launch ourselves into the community with, you know, uh, proper funding, proper resources, and um, just some really brilliant people that had some really, really great ideas. Um, it was just a perfect storm of things. And um, it was just, yeah, it was really cool to be a part of that. And uh, then we were able to be successful on the field too with, with Tata Martino and, um, you know, to be part of the, you know, MLS uh, cup winning <laughs> season was, was really special. Um you know, in just two years. That's really crazy. Uh, so, oh, you were, yeah, that you was were, awesome. You were working there when they uh, they had won the, the cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there from 2016 to 2019. Okay, um, you were MLS champ, man. You were MLS champ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, no, it was. It was really. It was really cool, and I was really fortunate to be to be part of the experience, be part of a um, you know a, a, a fun culture, and um, you know some really great people around me. So. Anyways, I, I, uh, yeah, kind of shortly after that. So shortly after the, um, the cup, I was kind of just feeling like, I, I just knew that like, you know, that wasn't where I wanted to be forever. You know, it was just kind of mix of things like where I was, you know, the, the stuff I was doing, I was like, I'm close to the sport, but it's not exactly what I want to be doing. You know, and I was okay. kind of burnt out a little bit. It was a lot of work. Um, it was a lot, a lot of work. Uh, so I just kind of felt burnt out. I was ready to get out. I, I, I grew up in the Southeast. So I was kind of like, at one point I knew I wanted to get out and go somewhere else, whether it was a different country, a different part of the country. Um, and so, you know, in the spring of 2018, I was kind of like looking around and I was like, all right, um, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll go back to school. Like maybe I'll find a different job. Like I'm, I'm not sure. And, um, you know, uh, I was looking at uh, Seattle because my cousin lived up there and I'd been up there a few times for work, you know, traveling with, with United and, um, I knew that Pacific Northwest was somewhere that like I could see myself, you know, um, exploring for a bit. And so I was looking up at, you know, schools up there and was able to find a master's program was, um, at the University of Washington called the Communication Leadership Program. And um, I thought it was a I thought it was just uh, a good draw for me because, you know, it's pretty um, open and flexible, um, you know, in terms of the the commitment level, in terms of the the courses offered. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll go back to school and, and, and there I can kind of figure out where I want to go next, you know? And so I ended up, ended up applying, was able to get in and, um, yeah, that's kind of snowballed into where I'm at now. Uh, so I ended up moving up to Seattle, uh, for that. Uh, so, so I finished up my master's program back in, in 2021, but, um, you know, while I was there, it was, it was really cool. I was surrounded by some just like really amazing people, some really motivated people, some people that, you know, like want to change the world and, um, it's cool to be kind of in the, the Pacific Northwest and the Seattle area where, where people are really, you know, um, involved in the community and like, you know, mm -hmm. want to be um, activists, you know, in whatever um, realm that they care about, that they believe, you know, um, you know, needs to be changed or, you know, needs to improve for the better, needs to needs to change in order to improve the world. Um, and I think that, you know, it's really inspiring when you're around a lot of people like that. And it makes you like kind of look inward and you're like, well, like, well, what do I really care about? Right. Like, and what am I, right. what am I fighting for every day to, to, to benefit the world, like to benefit the the areas that I really care about and that mean a lot to me. Um, and, you know, while I was in school was when uh, U S soccer um, released their deposition. Uh, so the women's national teams have been fighting for equal pay for a long time. Uh, and I think it was 20 beginning of 2020, they, uh, it came out and U.S. soccer said, you know, their justification for not, you know, paying them equally was that the men's game required more skill and required more responsibility and required more work than the women's. And it was like, how misogynistic can you possibly be? Right. Yeah, in public, too, with it. Like 
it yeah. was wild. And that just, it just, I mean, I was already doing some, some gender inequity studies, but like at that point I was like, whoa, like this can't be true. Right. Like th- this can't be happening. Right. Like something's got to change. So that kind of sparked a fire in me. And like, I've, um, a fortunate to be, I've been surrounded by a lot of strong women my whole life. And my mom was a collegiate athlete and I was, you know, coached by women and trained by women. And so I was, I grew up in this environment where, you know, women's sports is a normal thing for me, like mm-hmm. women having access to sports, women being encouraged to play sport. Like that was a normal thing for me in, in my community. Right. right. Um, so I was kind of, you know, in my naivety, like, you know, and, and I was, you know, I was, blinded by my you know only my own bias right right um but when you actually look at like the history uh, around women's sport and like the underinvestment you know the under resourced um you know they're they're underfunded and um you know it's it's like it's wild you know when you actually step back and you look at the the inequity um because when you're growing up when i was growing up you kind of look at you know, whether it was high school sports or, or whatever it might be, or the women's professional leagues. And you're like, ah, oh, like no one's showing up. You're like, ah, oh, well, it just must, it must not be popular. Like people just don't like it. Right. So, and, but that's, again, that's our naivety when we're younger and we yeah. don't really know about the world yet. Right. And we haven't been taught things like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so at that time you're like, well, it just must not be popular. And like, ah, oh, well, you know, it, the commercial value is higher for men's sports. But then you actually look into the history of it and the way I, the way I like to describe it to people, cause I love having this conversation because you know, a lot of people will still kind of make that argument. Well, you know, the men's, men's sports have higher commercial value because more people go to games, more people watch it, all this, right? Well, imagine this scenario, right? Imagine this metaphor. So there's two sandwich shops, right? On the street. One shop has been open for hundreds of years. They have the best chefs in the world they have enough money and funding to to fund um, multiple employees right uh they have the freshest ingredients they have a great infrastructure right they have a great building brand brand new branding all over it's nice it's a nice facility down the road you've got signs right you've got all the radio ads you've got all the tv ads you've got the nicest you know menu on the street right On the other side, the other sandwich shop hasn't been allowed to open for hundreds of years, right? They don't have enough resources to hire enough people to serve, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, like the other place does, right? They don't have the the, the resources to get the precious ingredients. They don't have any radio ads. They don't have signage down the road. They don't have the TV ads that the other sandwich shop has had for years. Which sandwich shop do you think sells more sandwiches? I mean, uh, yeah, I would assume right? the other one, right? But so, so it's like people are sitting here comparing the commercial value of these two entities, and one has been invested for hundreds of years and resourced and funded for hundreds of years, and one hasn't. Yeah, and yet they're like, well no one's showing up to these games or no one's watching the games. There's a deeper reason behind it. Well, how many people know about it? Yeah, exactly. How many stories have been told, right? How, how how many resources have been put towards women's soccer? 
of course, of course, more people are going to watch this. Of course, football, men's football and men's basketball are the revenue generating sports and collegiate sports because they've been marketed and funded for a long time. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's like when you come to that realization, when you actually look at the history of gender inequity within sport, you're like, whoa, it all makes sense. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. There's a there was a recent tennis player, um, and I don't remember his name, but there's a Players Tribune article on him, and he said, uh, "I hate when people are like, you know, we should we need to reduce the gender gap within sport." And it's like, how about we get rid of it? How about we get rid of the gender gap? How about we equally invest, right? Yeah. Like, and that's the goal. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's I, I get I get really passionate about it because I, I, I it's just soccer is supposed to be the world's game, right? It right. belongs to everyone. Shouldn't be and limited. Yet, yeah, it shouldn't be limited yeah. in sports in general, right? And so I, yeah, I get yeah, really yeah, sure. fired up about um, inequity and gender inequity within sport because it's just it's an injustice that has been going on for way too long. And um, yeah, I want to be I want to be part of the change. I want to I want to you know push for soccer being accessible and available for everyone. So yeah, that 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 gets me really revved up. Sorry if I went on like that. No, no, it's okay. If you're passionate about something, go ahead and show it. Yeah, but um, yeah. So you you were talking about that while in school, you wanted to know, you know, exactly what you wanted to do. So you got you got brought up to this point about you know women's sports. So how did you get involved in it? Was that like your, I guess your breakthrough moment? Like, damn, okay, like I want to, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. Let me go ahead and and invest my time, energy, and everything like that? Yeah, so um, I was still playing uh, while I was in school, too. Um, I, I played some club soccer at UW and also started playing for a semi-pro team up here, too. Um, so I was still playing. Like, I still loved playing. Like, I still right. had the bug, the bug, right? It was still a big right. part of my life. Um, but I started to – I've always had ankle issues, and I had a couple really big ankle injuries while I was up here, too. Um, and I was, you know, through that, I was realizing, like, whoa, like, um, you know, uh, if I can't play anymore, like, you know, what's going to bring me happiness, right? Like what's going to, you know, what's going to make me feel rewarded every day. Like right. it can't just be this because I can't do this forever. Right. Um, and so I started to, I started to coach, um, that team that I was playing for. I stepped in as an assistant for that team and, um, started working, um, at a grassroots club here too, and started to get my coaching licenses. Cause while I was in school as well, and I was studying gender and equity, I was kind of like, we did, I was fortunate to take some leadership courses as well. And I'm like, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, leader, I've always cared about leadership. It's always come, it's always come to me pretty naturally. Um, and I love soccer and I'm like, what's the perfect blend of that? All right, it's like coaching. Yeah. Right. Precisely. I love being around people. I love, I love instilling values. I love, you know, building community, building belonging with people. And like, so the moment I started to get my licenses and, and just jump into coaching there, and, and then I look back to when we were at UNC, I was able to coach camps over the summers there. And those were some of my favorite times too, and just working mm-hmm. with kids and um, being able to share the game. And um, so, yeah, it just clicked. I was like, this is, this is what I love. Like, right. so um, then while I was in school, so I'm, I'm at this grassroots club, um, you know, coaching the semi-pro team and um then I, I heard from multiple people, like, you know, I knew they knew I was getting into coaching and they were like, oh, hey, you know, do you know Amy Griffin? Like, have you heard of Rain? 
Um, and OL Rain um, is the pro team here in Seattle, the women's pro team. It used to be Seattle Rain, now they're owned by Olympic Lyonnais, um, mm-hmm. which is the French club. So uh, now uh, it's OL Rain. And so she, Amy Griffin, was a longtime coach at UW uh, here for the women's program. And, um, you know, she, she had recently taken over as the director for the OL Rain Academy, so which is the youth academy portion of the women's pro club here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, hey, you know, you should talk to Amy, like what she's doing, you know, over at over at OL Rain Academy, like you you would love it. Like, you know what they're doing for the, you know, the women's game, what they're what they're creating down there. Like, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, you should just check it out. Right. Like have a conversation, whatnot. And so I ended up kind of like looking through like, you know, the staff and their mission. And I'm like, whoa, like this actually looks like something, you know, I'd love to be a part of. And mm-hmm. um, so I got connected with Amy and of course, like a conversation or phone conversation that should probably be what, like, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 minutes turns right. into like a three hour conversation. And then that's been our conversations ever since. Right. Like I just immediately clicked with Amy, like what we care about in this world, what we care about in, in people, like how we treat people, our values that like we, we hold dear to our hearts. Like we just click on every level. And um, yeah. So from there I was, you know, went out and, um, you know, trialed a few times and, and ran a few sessions for them. And um, yeah, found that, you know, that they, they decided that I was, I was a good fit and yeah, I just feel really, really fortunate to be part of, um, you know, uh, academy that is setting a new standard for what women's soccer can look like, but specifically mm-hmm. what, what youth soccer can look like as well. Um, and it's, it's really cool. I believe in, in everything that we're doing and, and the environment that we're creating. I think it's, a uh, yeah, it's important that we provide a safe environment that mm-hmm. is also elite. And I think for a long time, now we're getting into the, to the, uh, the youth soccer issue. Um, but I think for a long time, it's been, well, if your kid, you know, wants to be the best, well, you know, you have to send them to a coach who's going to break them down completely to the bat- bare bones until they can bid them, build themselves back up. And if they can't, then they're not good enough. Right. right. Then they, they shouldn't be playing this sport then like, you know, whatever. And it's like, so not only are you neglecting players that don't necessarily fit into that learning style, if you will, but also all the kids that maybe have made it through that. Right. And have, have made it through that, that coaching, coaching, you know, philosophy and med- methodology in that environment. Well, yeah, sure. Did they, did they earn a scholarship? Maybe. Did they win some games? Maybe. Did they win some championships? Maybe. But how much trauma are they now living with the rest of their life because they were abused by coaches, right? Physically, psychologically, emotionally, verbally, right? How wrong, how wrong is that? Because now these players are set up long-term to have this trauma. And that's not fair. And I don't think it's the only way. And I I don't believe it's the only way. And I truly believe it's the wrong way to set players up and set people up for long-term success. And so I think that we're doing, um, you know, a fantastic job of setting our players up for, Hey, this is what a psychologically safe environment looks like. This is what happens. You know, this is what environment looks like when the coaches care, when your teammates care, right. When, when this is a, 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 healthy environment right this is what it looks like and then guess what we're gonna also push you right we're gonna also challenge you that's our job as educators is to challenge you and push you to be to your next you know to the highest level you know and highest potential you can possibly reach right but 
we're going to do it in a way where we're, we care about you. We're going to do it in a way where we respect you. Yeah. Because guess what? Like, you know, it's been normalized for too long that, you know, again, parents send these, send their, you know, kids to these coaches and they're like, yeah, but these coaches, you know, they crank out division one scholarships, right? They turn these players into pros. So, you know, but then you, you know, if you're, there's, there's parents who are watching their coach, you know, abuse their child. I like my question to them is like, if a teacher was speaking to your kid like that, how quickly would you go and burn down that school? Right? Yeah. yeah. But because it's a coach, oh, well, yeah, they're allowed to do that. Yeah. Because that's been normalized for so long, right? It's been normalized for so long that parents are, are just completely, um, you know, uh, immune to it, right? They don't, even, they don't even think about it. They just think that that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it's unbelievable, right? Um, so yeah, I get I get really fired up about that as well because I, I think it's it's something that I, I truly I truly believe there's just so much progress to be done. I think we're doing everything the right way. I think we're setting a standard. Yeah. Um I'm unfortunately reminded pretty consistently that we've got so much progress to go because some opposing coaches we play on, on the sidelines every weekend. I mean, the the behavior that's still accepted and and enabled, it's really sad. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely a, a big advocate for for the change in coaching culture and to the change in um, you know how how we treat our athletes, how we treat our kids, and uh, you know the dropout rate for for women's youth sport is crazy. You know, yeah, it, it's a problem in male sports as well. Like it's a problem mm-hmm. across the entire landscape, but you know it's even more of a problem within the women's game. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from the, the kind of male dynamic, right? Because coaching as a, as a profession has been dominated by males for a very long time, just yeah. as the sport has, coaching has as well. Um, and there's been that power dynamic that's just been unchecked for so long, right? Unchecked, completely unchecked. And that's where you get recently the NWSL, um, you know, scandals that have come out about sexual abuse, and verbal and emotional abuse at the highest levels in professional yeah. environments, right? But it's because even at the youth levels and in, in, in the collegiate levels and the professional levels, that behavior goes unchecked. There's no one checking that behavior and making sure that those athletes are safe, that those coaches are, are, are licensed and that they're, um, you know, they're, they're properly trained to be able to educate kids and, and, and keep them in a safe environment, Right um so it's yeah it's uh it can be a little bit of an overwhelming um issue to really talk about um but i do believe we're, we're doing everything right at rain um i believe in our leadership i'm surrounded by some really just kind amazing empathetic brilliant um you know i mean world changers right people that just have the drive to like truly make change um and i'm just i'm just getting challenged in every way i'm growing in every way um, and I think we're we're just doing everything right for setting the standard for what youth soccer can look like and what a safe environment can look like, what an elite environment can look like. Um, and I'll, I'll, I would say majority of our staff is um, female, which is also really important, right? Um, because when girls are growing up playing soccer and all they see as their coaches are males, well, I guess coaches are males, right? That's yeah. what goes through their head. But 
at rain, right. We've got most of our coaches are, are females and it's, it's not about only having females. It's not about only having males, but um, you know, it's about showing our kids like that. It's not gender specific. Yeah. Right. And that it's not racially specific that it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's anyone's game. Coaching is anyone's profession. Like you can do anything in this world. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, yeah, it's really important that, that we have that. And so, yeah, I think we, have, we've just got a great, um, we've just got a great staff. We've got a great culture. Um, we've got a great mission and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about where we're heading. And, um, I hope that the standard that we're setting other clubs are looking at us and we're like, Hey man, we, we, we've got to, we've got to make some changes, Yeah, you know? Um, and there are changes being made at, at the structural level. Um, you know, I think the licenses, the U S soccer licenses are getting better. There's, um, you know, there's more HR department involvement across the league, um, NWSL and, and then, you know, um, hopefully at the club level, things are, things are starting to change too around the country, but it's, a uh, yeah, it's, it's a deep, it's a deep rooted problem and deep rooted issue, um, that I'm, I'm super passionate about helping to helping to uproot. So. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad you're shedding light on all this and being as passionate as you are is because, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there right now that internally are thinking the same things you are, but just haven't, you know, verbalized it to, to anybody. So, I mean, if you're doing this and someone else hears that, oh, look, Eric's over there in Seattle talking so passionately about this. Why can't I do that, you know, in, in Omaha, Nebraska or in, in, in New Jersey or anything like that. So, no, like continue, continue having that passion on a on an issue that that's not really talked about in this country. And, and I promise you that it's going to turn into a, you're going to be an inspiration to others for real. I, I, I hope so. And I hope, yeah. I think all of our kids will be right. Yeah. I think our, our kids are, are getting set up within our, within our culture and community to, and I think that I have a lot of faith in the next generation, man. The next generation is so much more aware of all of this stuff. Right. And they're, they're passionate about change. They're passionate about, um, you know, activism and, and, and speaking up about things that are wrong, which is just really, yeah, that is, that is the one, you know, it's the, the shining light and all this darkness mm -hmm. around the world right now. Right. Yeah. It's like the, the, the youth is like aware, right. Yeah. And they're, they're motivated and they, they, they want to make change, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is cool. Really cool. Yeah. So I guess, let me ask this then too. You're involved with the, the Academy at OL Rain. Were you involved with the actual team, the senior team? Yeah. So for the last two seasons, I was working, um, as a video analyst. Okay. Um, so, you know, what that involves is kind of, um, you know, uh, curating video from, from film, um, from games and, and from trainings and providing the coaching staff, you know, what they need to, um, you know, uh, analyze opponents, right. Or, um, you know, uh, recap training sessions or, or pull mm -hmm. from games or whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, so, so doing some analyzing of opponents, um, setting, setting them up so that we can then prepare for, for games. And then, um, you know, it also involves, um, you know, watching the game from at games, watching the game from up top, right. Getting that kind of tactical view, yeah. um, and ultimately, you know, finding trends, identifying trends, and then letting the coaching staff know, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Here's, here's the problems that we're consistently having right um from from that level um because it's easier to see the field obviously from right from from higher up right when you have that tactical view so it's really just providing the coaching staff with with more information right that, so that they can they can do their jobs and they can implement solutions um and so that was yeah that was a really cool experience um you know being able to to work with 
Laura Harvey, which is, she's, um, you know, one of the most accomplished coaches in the U S uh, here and certainly probably the most accomplished in the NWSL. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's brilliant. Um, learned a lot under her Sam lady, uh, Rocky, just all, all of our coaching staff. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a special experience. Um, I think working with our OL rain, um, players specifically, they're so motivated uh, in the community. Um, and they, they're so passionate about other causes outside of uh soccer and Mm. um you know the club allows them to speak up about all of that um and encourages and enables them to speak up about all of that which is which is really cool and special and um i think that's again if you you know if you 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 put in the time to kind of research women's sports in general like you know women's sports has always not only been about like the game but also supporting causes that people care about and supporting social causes and um they've always been advocates for change and so just like being again being part of that just like in my my um my grad program like being around people that are so motivated to make change and so passionate about you know causes that are going to benefit people and uh i mean it's just it's really it's really really special and it's a unique experience i want to as much as possible you know share that passion for activism right with other people and um you know be passionate about what i what i care about you know and hopefully that inspires other people too um but yeah i think the the anybody sells growing it's uh it's it's Mm -hmm. really cool to to finally see um you know a stable league because it's the third iteration of a women's pro league here um going back to the sandwich analogy like Mm -hmm. you know again people will look at it and be like wow people don't care about it it's failed right again look at the resources look at the funding look at the investment and now it's actually coming look at angel city down in la yeah. right you're talking about probably the most competitive market in the entire us with the amount of sports teams the amount of entertainment the beach right <laughs> like it is a competitive market to be successful yeah. in and because they've been properly invested properly resourced they've brought in the right people at the table, at the top to make decisions. They've invested in the community and they, they've been involved in the community. They led the league. I think they led the league in attendance last year. I have to look, but um, I mean, selling out stadiums in their first year, like they're not doing that just because they showed up. Right. Right. They're doing that because they were properly funded, properly resourced, right? The, the players are given the right resources mm-hmm. to be successful, you know, like, cause it's not just like, money towards being in the right stadium you're talking about bringing in licensed professional staff you're talking about giving them the proper resources in terms of medical staff in terms of their recovery in terms of their preparation and nutrition right you're talking about giving them enough money so that they can you know uh be in a proper housing and not have to worry about where they're you know where they're um you know they're going to live the next year like what whatever it might be right the situations that um, and challenges they've had to live through for so long because they've been underfunded hasn't allowed them to be the best players that they can be because they've been so worried about you know paying for their next meal yeah. right or having another job the whole Brittany Griner thing you know was made the women's sports community like livid and and wanted people to wake up because it's like it's like look she's having to be in Russia because she's not paid enough in the WNBA like she has to go over to Russia for the other half of the year in order to pay enough to, to live, 
to get paid enough to live, right? To, to afford living. That is absurd. And that is how the women, the NWSL and, and women's, you know, pro sports and pro soccer has, has operated for a long time was that these athletes are having to do second jobs, right? They're having to, to, to go play on the other side of the world for the other six months of the year because they're not paid, their contract's not big enough because it's not guaranteed because they're not paid enough to, to be able to afford their own living. They had to live with host families for a very long time or they had to live in really, um, you know, poorly designed apartments, right? Um, so I think like, you know, the angel cities are showing like, if you invest, it could be done right. It's there, yeah. right? The market is there. The market is absolutely there. So like take away like the actual, like morally it should be, you know, equitable regardless. Right. But actually the commercial value is there if you invest. And I think at, at the end of the day, that's really what you know, this gender inequity within sport. It's like, don't even, you can't even talk about commercial value and attendance and broadcast numbers and all this until there's equal investment, right? Like you cannot, cannot compare those numbers until there's equal investment. Um, and I think that the numbers that really speak out when I was doing my studies, it was like, you know, of the $80 billion in sports, you know, money and endorsements all around the globe, like player endorsements, less than 1% goes towards female athletes. Of all the media coverage in the entire world, less than 4% is dedicated to, to women's sports. And so, you, again, you, you can't argue, you can't sit there and say, well, more people want to watch male sports. Like, no one knows about the women's sports because you're not marketing it. You're not telling their stories. It's not everywhere. You're not giving them the proper resources. You're not giving them the proper access, right? And, you know, luckily in the U.S., like Title IX's, you know, helped grant access to, to, to women's sports collegiately. And um, luckily we're a, a more progressive society than a lot of societies around the globe, but like, you know, even, even the U S has a long way to go, but then you look around the globe and there's still places where women aren't allowed to play sports. Yeah. Right. Let alone like they don't have access. Like they're literally not allowed. They're not permitted. Yeah. And then you got places where they are permitted, but they're not given the access. Right. Or they're told to go back into the kitchen. Right. And the misogyny is just so deep rooted in so many societies and in sports culture in general. Um, and it's there's just, there's just so much progress to be made, um, and I think the voices are getting louder and louder, and I think people are more and more aware. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of progress to be made, um, and I'm, I'm I'm very passionate about um, pushing it forward um, and, and leaving it in a better place than than I for found sure. it. For sure, keep doing it too. Keep doing it. Keep keep being an inspiration, man. Um, but yeah, let me let me go into. Wow, I got I got to shift gears. We got into some real serious conversations, um, but that 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 are needed though, that are much needed, and long overdue as well. Um, but yeah, let's get into these these Instagram questions off of the page, um, and that'll wrap up the the episode real quick. So, I mean, one question that that's in here that you've pretty much answered, uh, like majority of this this uh this episode is what made you get involved with the women's game as opposed to the men's game? And I, I think you, you answered that one very well with uh, your reasoning behind uh, while in school and, and getting passionate about, you know, gender equality and everything like that. 
Um, unless you want to talk about more. Uh, no, that. I mean, I think that that's definitely a, a driving factor, right? Is like, yeah. you know, um, I, I think so- soccer should be, you know, equal for all, equitable for all, accessible for, for sure. all. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely super, super passionate about, you know, trying to sort that injustice, right? Like sure. it's, it's wrong and it's global and it's deep rooted um, and there's yeah. a lot of work to be done. So uh, yeah, that's, that's one big reason. I think the other big reason too, is like, I think in, in male locker rooms, I've always, I've always struggled dealing with egos, like really big egos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like humility is, is, is a really important value for me. Mm-hmm. And um, not that egos and, and big egos don't exist in the women's game, but I think there's, there's less of it. And I mean, just look at leadership around the globe, take away soccer, right? Like leadership around the globe, right? Like, you know, egos within, um, you know, males is just like, it's, it's probably why we're in the state of the world that we're in. Right. Like, so, um, that's another big reason too, is like, I think I, I, I fit more within the, the, the women's sports space, um, because mm-hmm. it's more collaborative, you know, and it's more of a community and, um, it's about helping each other get as far as possible rather than mm-hmm. like me versus you, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and I love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got one question about what's the rundown on the hair product for you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, man. they want to know. They they basically saying you got the perfect hair, man. So they want to know what what's what's the shampoo looking like? What's the is there conditioner? Little little gel hairspray? What's going on? Oh man, am I allowed to ask you that came from? <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, it's uh, what is it? Hans DeFuco, I think it is. Uh, but nah, yeah, like there's this like like one brand I really like, and I was like, okay. I, I don't like anything else. Like this okay. is like I make sure if it's working exactly. <laughs> um, but I for the for the for the course of the winter months, I like I usually wear a beanie because I'm just like I don't even want to deal with my hair. Like yeah, I just put a beanie on yeah, for like yeah, months, yeah. especially how cold it is out in Seattle too in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, I made a bet with my sense. with one of my teams the other day about uh you know a goal they scored whatnot, and they ended up like dyeing my hair purple. And they were all mad because like they dyed my hair purple at the field, but then like I wore a beanie like the next couple because it's freezing. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, cold. Yeah. And I so was they like, couldn't see it, huh? You guys got to be making these bets when it's warmer out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and let's see. Uh, this might be. Oh, how about this one? What's Eric's favorite memory from coaching so far? Hmm. Hmm. Um. That's hard. Um, I'd say like what's really special and unique about our club and and one of my favorite memories is probably like anytime I see our older players interacting with our younger players. Um, and man, it like it happens so naturally all the time because we're all at the same fields and such. And like there was, you know, there's been a couple of times where like we're showing up maybe maybe we're still setting up the fields or whatnot and our older players have come up and just been like hey can we just like play with them for like 20 minutes or 10 minutes yeah. or maybe they don't even ask and they just like see a field and they start playing and like it's just so cool it's so cool to to see that type of community and environment where like you know they get to you know see girls that are older than them like come up to them and include them and and say hey like you belong here yeah right and it's just like that like warms my heart man like when it's just like that's what we're building right is this community this collaborative community and like um a place where people can see themselves and belong right no matter who they are no matter where they come from um so yeah i'd say like those are those are my favorite favorite memories whenever i see our 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 older players interacting with their younger players and i 
see that type of relationship start to yeah. bond you know it's it's really cool for sure yeah. well eric man thank you for thank you for joining uh my podcast talking about a lot of stuff that uh that needed to be talked about and that needs to be put out into this world in some facet i mean i know my platform is very little in comparison to you know everything else that's out there but uh all your words you know your passion about certain topics the game um you know, it, it is going to be an inspiration. I mean, whether it's going to be tomorrow, whether it's going to be five years from now, I don't know when, but it, it's definitely going to expire some type of conversation that, that needs to be had. So, yeah, no, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining. Thank you for putting in, you know, the energy and passion into into the words you were saying. Yeah, man. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing the game, Camille. And that's what it's about just grow, growing the game here. It's a beautiful right. game, bro. That's all it is. It's a beautiful full, game. Yeah, full circle, right? We go like, <laughs> again talking about like thinking about our childhood, like yeah, think about where soccer was at and where it is now in this country, and it's really cool. And again, a lot of progress to be made, but yeah. um, it's it's For cool sure. to at least you know look back and see that progress, right? And For just sure. know that you know there there is progress being made, and that's inspiring to then push forward more, right? To continue forward, yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. But yeah, bro. Once again, thank you for joining. Um, of course, man. We also got one, like one and thirty seconds left for the recording, so that was perfect timing. So I'm good with it, man. I'm. That was perfect timing. That was perfect timing. <laughs>